Chapter 2 The Dust Key The Doctrine of Humanity With the turn of the key, the stars and throne disappear. Everything goes black. His song goes silent. This is a different darkness, unlike any you've ever felt before. There is nothing but nothing before your eyes. Everything you've ever known, everything you thought would always be there. The sky, the sun, grass, color, wind, gravity, laughter, air, is gone. All that stands before you is void and darkness. The emptiness feels unbearable. You just want to go back to the way things used to be. But there is nowhere to turn, because there is nowhere. Just before panic sets in, a new, severe, and regal voice cuts through the dark with a direct command. Let there be light. Just as that last word echoes in the void, a burst of brilliant white overcomes the darkness. But the speaker is not done. With more words comes more creation. Let there be a heaven, earth, and sea. Let the earth bring forth plants, fruits, and trees. Let the sky be filled with the sun, moon, and stars. And let them divide day from night. Let the seas, the earth, and the sky be filled with wildlife. And in just a few sentences, everything you once knew and took for granted, night and day, earth and sky, was back and better than it ever was. That's when you see him, like a conductor before his newly made orchestra, the king stands watching and directing the world his words have brought into existence. Everything already seemed perfect and right, but the king is building up to his finale. He even changes his approach. Instead of speaking something new into existence like before, this time he slows down and lets you listen in on his divine plans. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. These words seem like a map to buried treasure. They are the king's answer to the world's biggest, most important questions. By making humanity in his own likeness, God gives your life beauty, order, and purpose. Having the image of God explains who you are, why you matter, and what your life is really all about. But what does it mean to be made in the image of the King? Where do you even begin to understand this? That's when you hear that familiar, wise voice behind you whisper. The image bears beginning. Your purpose lies in the dust. Your purpose lies in the dust. As God's word tells you, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Genesis 2, 7. You won't find this in your school's science textbooks. And it won't be the lead story on the evening news. Nobody wants to trace their beginnings back to a clod of dirt or lump of clay. It's not glamorous and it certainly doesn't fit with the world's you-can-be-anything-you-want-to-be promises. That's why humanity works so hard to forget its humble beginnings. 
even you will try to forget where you came from. But God's way is better than yours. He is the creator. He's the creator of everything, including you. He knows how all things work and how all things work together, including you. The king wrote your owner's manual, which is good because if the world worked your way, it would probably turn out like sandcastles built beside the sea. Small kingdoms we make that are quickly washed away by the incoming tide. This is why God's perspective on your humanity is so important. When he tells you your beginning, he helps you see where you should go. It's like planning for a trip. To get where you want to go, you have to know where your journey starts. The beginning and the end always connect, and they help make sense of all the points along the way too. When you know that God is your sculptor and you are his clay, you know how your story starts. You know that you are under God's reign. God created you in ways beyond your imagination, ways that spotlight his power, authority, and wisdom to show you that he rules over you and that you rely on him. You didn't make yourself, God did. The dirt under your feet should be a constant reminder that you owe your life, your everything, to your king. The dust you came from also reminds you that being a human means that, like the earth's dirt, you are real and physical. You aren't some ghost-like force floating around in the atmosphere. You have a real body with real arms and feet and hands and a nose. You live in a physical world that you can touch, taste, hear, see, and smell. And when your king fashions you out of the earth, he forever connects you to the rest of his creation. Though humanity and the world aren't the same thing, your stories intertwine. Try to think of your life without the sky above and the earth beneath. It's impossible. And as the void and the darkness showed you, it's unbearable. Man and the world are in this together. That's why, as you will soon see, when the first man rebels against the king, the king punishes him and the world. The king turns the once fruitful and thriving creation into thorns and thistles. Yet, in his grace, when the king promises to rescue humanity, he promises to rescue the world too. God also creates humanity out of dust to show you that you are the high point of creation. Now this may sound odd at first. God speaks everything else into existence, making things out of nothing, but man he forms out of something else dirt. That doesn't sound like man is the pinnacle of God's creation, does it? But that's the point. God makes humanity differently than the way he makes the rest of creation because he makes the rest of creation for humanity. It's like getting to the theater before the play begins. The stage is set and ready for the performance. But you didn't come to see the set design. You came to see the actors bring that stage to life. The set isn't the story. 
It exists to help tell the actor's story. It is the same with God's design. The world is a stage He builds to tell the story about His relentless love for humanity. That is why the King makes the world first, then the man and the woman, and then He plants them in His perfect garden. The King builds a place for His people so He can be present with His people. The image bearer's ways. There is more to humanity than dirt. That is why there is more to humanity than just dirt. There is the breath of God also. To make man a living creature, the king actually breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Genesis 2, 7. While he speaks the rest of creation into existence from afar, the king makes man in a close, face-to-face -face way. This two-part creation of man, earth and breath, hints at this truth. The king made you with two unified parts. First, the king gave you a physical body. Remember, God used the real physical world to create the first man. But there is also the second part, a spiritual or soul part, found in the breath of life the king breathed into humanity. These two parts work to make up one whole. Adam is not completely Adam without both the physical and spiritual parts united together in him. That is why he isn't a living creature until he has both. Body and soul work together like a harmony they are two notes played at the same time to make a beautiful and more striking sound together. Or it's like playing a chord on a piano or a guitar. You press two different keys or strings to make one note. If you miss a key or a string, then it is no longer a chord. It is the same with your humanity. To be human is to have both body and soul. It was that way with the first man and it is that way with you right now. The image of God, the reason why he made you. But God doesn't just tell you what you're made of. He actually stops in the middle of his creation project to explain why he made you in the first place. In the simplest terms, God creates you to image him in his world. As his word puts it, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1:27. This simple sentence helps answer so many of the questions about what it means to be human. While all the philosophers, teachers, and thinkers of this world try so hard to give you deep, complex answers about your humanity, the king just tells you this is what I made you to be. In this brief moment, when the king lets you hear his inside the Trinity reason for creating you, everything begins to make sense. When God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, he really meant it, and he really did it. Genesis 1.26 He made humanity to reflect his character and his ways to the watching world. 
the king created a creature who would be like him, a creature who would represent the king in the king's world. In a way, then, humanity is like a flag. Just like a flag represents a country's rule and reign wherever it flies, you represent and reflect God's rule and reign in his creation. A flag on its own is just colorful fabric. Its power and purpose come only from the country it stands for. Like the flag, your power and purpose come from the king who made you to represent him in his world. When creation sees you, it sees an ambassador of the king, one who reflects his rule, power, and authority on the king's behalf. The image bearer's purpose. God created you to represent the king. You bear God's image for a purpose. God creates you in his image to represent the king in who you are and what you do. That is what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of the king. So while man and woman reflect God in who they are, they also reflect God in their actions. That is why God gives the first man and woman two commands right after he makes them in his image. If they do these things, they reflect God to the rest of his creation. So what are these commands? And what do they have to do with the image of God? First, God tells his image bearers to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And second, God tells them to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1.28 Think about what God commands you to do here. He wants you to grow in numbers and rule over every created thing. God is telling you to build his kingdom and oversee it for him. That is why you are supposed to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Through the commands, the king connects his image with the expansion of his rule. Being fruitful and multiplying is God's way of telling his image bearers to make more image bearers. This is why God made you for relationships and why he made both males and females in his image. It's also why you exist and your parents before you and your grandparents before them. It's why Adam and Eve aren't the only people in God's world. One person became two people and they became a lot more people who then turned into a nation and so on. This is why your Bible has so many long lists of strange names. The king wants you to know that his image bearers are filling his world. While God's image bearers grow in numbers, the borders of God's rule must expand as well. More people means you need more land. And as God's image bearers spread into the rest of God's world, God's kingdom rule goes with them. That is why the king wants you to have dominion. God made you in his image to help you make sure that his rule and reign grow, flourish, and expand across all the world through you. Eden is a little picture of this. It starts as a perfect garden. The Creator gives His image bearers to practice their kingdom rule and enjoy His presence. But Eden was just supposed to be the beginning. If Adam and Eve kept God's commands, the beauty 
beauty of Eden, this little kingdom would extend over all the earth. Paradise would be worldwide. If the first couple had followed the king's commands and been who the king made them to be, they would have had all of the king's promises and found the king and his ways to be their highest joy. A better image bearer, because the world isn't paradise. But the world isn't paradise. You are miles away from Eden. And so many people seem miles away from real joy, don't they? That is because something bad happened. The world doesn't want God's kingdom anymore. These days, the image of God seems like a broken, fractured mirror with lots of missing pieces. Here's the problem. When people don't know who they are or what they're supposed to do, they make up their own answers and their own reasons. That's like trying to replace the sun with the moon. The moon isn't strong enough to keep things in orbit, and the planets would spin wildly out of control. You and your answers aren't strong enough either. You can't make up a purpose strong enough to keep your world together. Eventually, it will spin out of control unless the king returns to his rightful place at its center. In God's grace, he offers to restore your world. God promises to piece back together again the image you fractured by doing the unimaginable. God becomes man to show you the perfect image of God. God the Son enters the world as the man, Christ Jesus. He becomes a better Adam to fix what the first Adam broke. Christ reteaches you who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. In the Son, you have a way to be truly, fully human once again. Only the King's kingdom lasts. This is why He made you for His kingdom and tied your life to it. It's also why you need God's Son to restore you to His kingdom. But before you can fully understand how Christ rescues your humanity, you must first feel a different kind of darkness. Not the before creation darkness you felt when you turned this key, but the darkness that enters the world through a serpent's forked tongue lies. If you are ready, if you have the courage to face the darkness of your sin and death, turn this key and open the lock.